start with today's show. It is chock full of hot topics and we start with the slap. No, not that one. The original, the the the, the Batman slapping Robin, the origin of, of, of one of the greatest memes of all time. Where'd that come from anywhere? I'm going to tell you. I'm going to share that with you today. Also, conventions are back. WonderCon, it's coming back. Conventions are in full bore all around the country, all around the world. We're going to touch on that. And finally, funeral for a king my mem- my remembrances of jack kirby and his beautiful funeral and 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 uh and the event uh in 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 his memory that day i'm going to walk you through that and so much more on today's observations and we are off we're back we are taking flight with a new episode of Rob observations i am rob Liefeld. This is my show, Rob Observations, where we talk about all manner of things uh, concerning comic books, comic books that is my passion, that is my career, that is my living, that is um, my my obsession uh, since I was six, seven years old. And this podcast was started to just kind of walk you through uh, my experiences with comics and how they've grown and expanded. And and uh, and and lo and behold, uh, we are here. Following an uh, Academy Awards uh, show that, that that was on here in the last few hours, that featured, ironically, in the aftermath of the infamous the incident that ignited the entire night, that we all were like you know sitting on the seat of our pants uh, when when the the awkward the most awkward er- eruption of uh, of Will Smith going on stage and smacking. Chris Rock. I am not here to uh, adjudicate what went down or really reflect on it because uh, that's not what uh, I wish to indulge in in re- regards to my time with you guys. That that I only have a little time every every uh, twice a week to talk to you guys. But here's the funny thing: is within moments of that happening, I always talk about comic books is so um, important to 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 the medium. Uh, in in every in, in in all capacities, it's just uh, the 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 comic comic books have become so much part of the air that we collectively breathe, um, in in all manner of the culture that and I and I say this you know all the time, but the uh, the the in aftermath of Will Smith smacking Chris Rock all over the internet, we got a comic book image. Some people would already alter it. They'd put Will Smith into the picture and put Chris Rock into the picture because these people on the internet are incredibly there are there are they're incredibly fast. There there are some Photoshop manipulators, artists that can implement things with lightning speed. It's it's frightening, but there is a meme of Batman slapping Robin that we've all seen for the last, it feels like 20 years. Maybe it's only uh, a few, but uh, the Batman slapping Robin meme was everywhere. And uh, it began, this this Batman slapping Robin meme began its mimetic rebirth with a simple joke about how Pat, Batman's parents are dead. In, in one of the memes that I'm looking at right now, he is slapping Robin. It's like he's slapping Robin to his senses. If you, if there's some, if, if, if for some reason you have not seen this, he is slapping Robin and Robin is saying, Hey Batman, what are you, what are your, what are you getting your parents for Christmas? My parents are dead. So he's slapping Robin like, um, you know, come to your senses. The, um, the ass- assumption was that this image was always a fan <laughs> recreation and people thinking there's no way this could be an official panel of Batman just beating the hell out of Robin. But upon uh, careful, you know, uh, I- examination, the image is from uh, World's Finest Number One Fifty Three. Okay, 
And in World's Finest 153 is where we originally see this all go down. And uh, uh, th- look, the <laughs> I mean, did you even know this? Did you did you know about wor- World's Finest number 153? World's, World's Finest, as I should tell you guys, was the showcase comic book that DC put out for a gazillion years. World's Finest referred to the two finest stars of the book, the two finest heroes, Batman and Superman. It was a monthly book where Batman and Superman, sometimes Robin, and their collective, you know, supporting cast would always rally around them in, in, in service of some dynamic story. The cover of World's Finest number 153 touts an imaginary story rather than the usual totally real stories that comic books produced. Uh, it's a silly and fascinating refinement of the idea of comic book canon into three words. The Clash of the Cape and the Cowl is the name of the book. It takes place in an alternate universe where Batman's parents were not killed when he was a child, so his mom lived long enough to die of unremarked-upon natural causes. Bruce Wayne and Clark Kent are teenagers, and uh, Clark Kent is known as Superboy. Bruce Wayne's dad is a medical doctor, and he's in the process of researching anti-kryptonite serum. Uh... He's murdered by a prowler on the same day that he refuses to hand the serum over to Superboy because he said he, he needed more, more time to test it. Uh, Bruce catches a glimpse of the killer uh, as, it, as the killer flees through the open window. And Bruce, you know, comes to his own conclusions. Uh, now an, an orphan, uh, you know, and, and refusing to believe that Superboy somehow killed his dad because Superboy is, you know, is, is, is comes back and, and Bruce's father is dead. And, and, and of course it was because he wouldn't, you know, he wasn't giving this formula over to Superboy, but we know that someone killed him. Um, and Bruce Wayne swears to become the world's greatest detective in order to crack the case of uh, how Superboy might have killed his dad. So he's going to come to this conclusion. Um, well, in, in the aftermath of all this, uh, Bruce Wayne witnesses the death of the Flying Graysons, who are the parents of Dick Grayson, and uh, decides to train him to be Superman. But Dick Grayson in this alternate universe is a huge fan of Superman. And when he finds out that the entire purpose of Batman's life is to bring Superman to to justice because he thinks he saw him kill his father, uh, he says... You have to be wrong, Batman. It couldn't have been Superboy. He would never kill anyone. And so this panel that birthed this mean actually says, Don't tell me I'm wrong, you brat. Proving Superman's guilt is my whole mission in life. Slap. Okay? And uh, Robin says, Your grief has obsessed you with this idea of vengeance, Batman. I beg that you give it up. This meme is born... Obviously, a million imitation means, like the one I started this, where it says, what are you getting your parents for Christmas? And he says, my parents are dead. Okay, so so this meme came from this world's finest uh, story that I just laid the groundwork for, and you got to go catch the rest of it yourself, because I'm not here to spoil all the stories. I'm here to set them up. So you go look at them um, and, and find them out and, uh, and, and see if indeed... Bruce Wayne does bring Superboy to uh, to justice for killing his parents. But again, that meme is a result of this panel uh, from World's Finest. And again, in it, don't tell me I'm wrong, you brat. Proving Superman's guilt is my whole life's mission. Okay. So we saw this take flight. I can't tell you how many times I saw that meme last night. And I sat there and I said... Comic books are everything, you guys. It was the first option for this Will Smith, Chris Rock brouhaha, okay? I, I love saying brouhaha. It makes me sound old. That's my dad would have said. But Robbie, that brouhaha. So that brouhaha, that entanglement, um, that is, uh, I mean, literally, isn't it crazy? It's just absolutely, absolutely nuts, that, that that happened, but what was most people's first response? It was to share that meme, put brand new, um, brand new word balloons, and and again, I, I I have seen that meme where indeed 
It is Will Smith uh, 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 as Batman smacking Chris Rock as uh, as Robin. And and it was all over my feed last night. It was all over my Facebook. It was all over my Twitter. And again, I just sit there and I go, there it is. There it is. There is... Um, there is uh, comic books coming to the rescue, really breaking it down, making it easy for all of us to either, you know, work through our shock, our awe. Yeah, I'm looking at right now, I'm, I'm looking at a whole bunch of them. And again, people literally 12 hours ago, 15 hours ago, they, they photoshopped Will's face into the Batman. They drew it. They traced over it. I mean, there is all manner of, uh, I mean, if you go through and you just Google Will Smith Batman meme, you will get your fur, your full run. Here's what I want to say about the, 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 um, I, I do want to say something about, about, about the, 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 the smack, but it's probably not what, what you think I'm going to say. And, and it really is, as, as a, I got a lot of, I got a lot of thoughts on this and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to go through some of them. But, um, the thing is that, uh, the, 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 the thing is my frustration at that going down was that it ruined a huge moment for Questlove. He of the hip hop band, the roots also the, the in-house band for Jimmy Fallon since 2014 Questlove is, uh, a really, if you've ever seen interviews with him, sweet guy, obviously talented guy, ridiculously, uh, talented musician, producer, performer, and uh, found this footage and cobbled together this amazing documentary, Summer of Soul, which I have seen um, numerous times. It absolutely uh, deserved to 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 win the best documentary, and it did. And I was really upset for Questlove that he was not able to get the proper uh, recognition he did because it was in the immediate aftermath of this exchange between Will Smith and Chris Rock, I really feel bad. And I felt like, I felt, it's just my interpretation, watching on the couch, that uh, that he was upset by the fact that in the midst of this terrible occurrence that just had, that, that just, it was more than the hit, it was the screaming from the, you know, from the front row to the host and Chris Rock, admirably, I might add, wherever you fall, admirably keeping his composure. I mean, pretty, pretty amazing. Um, and, uh, you know, this summer of love documents, you know, the, the, the music festival in the summer of 1967, which is, you know, when I was born 1967. So, so, but it's, it's, it's great. It's got all manner of great performances. You should definitely check it out. It, um, it, it it's incredible that, that, that he was able to get this footage, unearth this footage, put it together and share it with everybody, and, uh, you know, uh, whew, it was uh, it just, just, just sad that, that, that Questlove's achievement with Summer of Soul, with Summer of Soul, was, uh, was, was, you know, um, tainted by, by the, uh, th- this, uh, terrible occurrence, and, 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 uh, my apologies, not 1967, 1969. I got ahead of myself there. Um, but yeah, this this Harlem Cultural Festival that they actually did get all manner of, of cameras on. And uh, I, again, I've seen it a couple of times. It's easy to turn on when I'm drawing. And uh, and again, 1969, Questlove uh, restored all this footage. And, you know, I, I kind of figured it was a shoe-in to win the Oscars, which it did. But it was in the middle of this tremendous amount of... of uh, Confusion and and here's 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 a little observation and I was I actually launched into this this weekend and uh, you know the the thing is as Sandra Bullock uh, was releasing her new film this week I think it's called The Lost City don't quote me on that but it's with Channing Tatum it looks really funny I'm gonna see it eventually I used to I mean I was the biggest Sandra Bullock fan me my wife everybody we knew you know uh, while you were sleeping Speed Speed Two um, all manner of, of rom-coms that, that, that she did and, and, and different, um, movies, which kind of culminated it kind of like her, you know, 
Superflex was the blind side, the one that she won the Oscar for. Well, that was a decade ago. And then she kind of dialed down her uh, box office output as, output as a lot of uh, incredibly talented performers do. And at that point, when she dialed it down, she'd already been going really you know, heavy with her career for two decades, 20 years, you know? And, and so these people, they take their time off and, uh, you know, my daughter is not as aware of Sandra Bullock's superstar status, nor is she aware of Will Smith's superstar status. To my kids, the stars uh, of my generation are not their stars. And you know, the, 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 the stars of their generation are Timothy Chalamet, Zendaya, Zendaya, if I'm saying it wrong, uh, Robert Pattinson, now Zoe Kravitz. Um, they're pretty easy to spot. The kids from Euphoria, if they're kids, the adults from Euphoria. But um, I've, I've watched my kids, you know, uh, uh, who they follow. The, the, the kind of the biggest, the biggest, uh, I mean, the, 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 the biggest, uh, star that we share uh would be Tom Cruise which I'll get into in a second but but so so Sandra Bullock I guess Gravity would be her her last big blockbuster um she was part of an ensemble of Ocean's 8 but that's 5 years between Gravity and my kids are 13 uh 11 and 9 when Gravity comes out and they we didn't take them to see it it was a kind of in a more of an not adult but more of a serious drama not they just wouldn't have had as much patience with that. Um, they didn't see our brand as crisis. They did watch part of bird box with me in 2018. Cause it was on, you know, Netflix. They didn't see unforgivable, which she didn't make a movie for three years. Um, she didn't really make a movie for the, 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 the years in between gravity and, 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 and oceans eight, which again is five years. And, and then again, you've got the blind side in 2009, which she wins the Oscar for in 2010. But the point is, that her, like, that the, the giant, you know, movie-making machine that, 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 that erupted her, which is, you know, Speed, uh, While You Were Sleeping, The Net, A Time to Kill, Speed 2, whether you liked it or not, It Opened Big, Hope Floats, Practical Magic, Forces of Nature, um, you know, Miss Congeniality 2000. That's the year my son is born. My, my oldest son is born in 2000. And that would be... Um, really, Miss Congeniality was kind of the biggest marker for her as, as I would say, uh, up until, again, the blind side between the proposal and blind side, both in 2009. But you get what I'm talking about here. In, in my, my kid's life, Sandra, the Sandra Bullock that rocked the box office during my 20s and 30s kind of retreated in the same way that if you, the, the funny thing is, you know, and this is when you know you're old is when you're explaining to your kids why Will Smith and Chris Rock matter. Um, because if you are my kids age 20, 21 and, and 18, uh, they are not as much in the know in regards to, uh, especially, you know, Will Smith's, you know, box office status. So Will Smith, uh, you know, you go back to, so 10 years ago, he's in Men in Black 3. My, my oldest is 10 at that time. Then, then, then his brother is 8 and his sister is 7. And uh, we did take them to see Men in Black 3, which I, you know, ironically has got the amazing Josh Brolin uh, doing the younger Tommy Lee uh, 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 in, in this. But um, they didn't see I Am Legend. I Am Legend. My, I didn't take my 7 and, and 5 and 4-year-old to see I Am Legend. Um and, 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 and they didn't see Hitch and they didn't see Shark's Tale and they didn't see iRobot and they didn't see Bad Boys 1 or 2 in the theater. They certainly, I mean, come on, my, my kid is four years from being born when Independence Day comes out. So, the, you know, there, there's a CBS and Enemy of the State, which I love. I love, I love Enemy of the State. It's, it's really a, 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 an update of Three Days of the Condor. But um, in that, just to fill that up before I before I go back and circle back uh, about 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 what Will said on CBS this morning, so so ten years ago he does Men in Black three, then it is literally bomb bomb bomb, After Earth bombed, um, Focus bombed, Concussion bombed. Now Suicide Squad, you're gonna say it, he's the star of that. I don't know that many people would agree that he was the star 
of Suicide Squad, but he certainly was a lead in it, and it did make a lot of money. If you want to position that as a Will Smith movie, that's fine. It would be his first hit in about five years um, following Men in Black 3, and then Collateral Beauty, Bright is a is a Netflix movie, and then obviously he's the genie in Aladdin, but th- th- that's a lot. That So that's two hits if you're going to count Suicide Squad as a Will Smith movie in a, in a decade's time. So now you see what I'm saying. By the time my kid is 10 to 20, he doesn't see a Will Smith movie. He He's not part of that filmography. He's not the guy who, like the rest of us, is going and buying a ticket and breathlessly cannot wait for Bad Boys 2 and Men in Black 2 and uh, all of the, like I said, enemy of the state. I mean, Will had that sweet spot. And, and it lasted about six or seven years. And it's kind of like the same sweet spot that Tom Cruise found himself in when he came back from, uh, when he made, you know, from Mission Impossible to to Jerry Maguire to Mission Impossible 2. Um, I mean, and, and everything in between. Eyes wide shut. I mean, he was, uh, uh, there's that, that, Vanilla Sky. These are big box office hits. Eyes Wide Wide Shut, even if you didn't like it, made some serious coin at the box office. But, you know, uh, you, you could say, go back even further. Before Mission Impossible, you go, A Few Good Men, The Firm, Interview with the Vampire, Mission Impossible, uh, Jerry Maguire. That is literally like 1993, 94, 95. Tom Cruise just found that swell through Mission Impossible 2, Vanilla Sky. These movies were tremendous hits. And then... He kind of took a minor break, and then you got Mission Impossible 3, and you got Jack Reacher, which the first one was a giant hit, was a major moneymaker. It's the sequel that kind of things went off the rail. But in the meantime, you got Mission Impossible uh, 4, you got 5, you got 6, and that's why my kids know that Tom Cruise is a major star. Because Mission Impossible uh, 4, 5, 6 all happened from in their formative years. We went and saw them in IMAX. We bought the big popcorn. We got the big sodas. Tom made sure that as an action figure, as an action, you know, uh, uh, figure, action, actor, figure, action star, that he was prominent in giant hits. The last Mission Impossible made more than any of the previous ones. And so again, to them, they know Tom Cruise is a big star. And you know, when a Mission Impossible comes out, we roll out all the Mission Impossible movies. So they're they're fired up on our TV. We're watching Mission Impossible 1 and 2 and 3 and 4. And you know, and then they're seeing 5 and 6 and 7. And again, kind of what happens between, you know, when you're 10 and when you're 20. A lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of big stuff comes under your focus. For me, Star Wars. I was, I was nine years old when I saw Star Wars. That was the boom moment of like cinematic awakening. Kevin Costner on the Academy Awards last night said he was seven years old. Went to the theater, saw How the West Was Won. Huge movies just changed his life. Cinematically drew him in. I mean, there's a whole list of these. My kids don't know Jodie Foster as a movie star. They, they don't. You know, they're not aware of her in any capacity as as a movie star. But, you know, honestly, they know Ryan Reynolds. You know, he's putting out movies all the time. They know The Rock. These are the, the, the more of the movie stars of their era. They, they know, you know, Matt Damon. Um, but again, if you grew up, my daughter, I took her to see the finale of Twilight, okay? Which, you know, then she's Goo Goo Gaga for Robert Pattinson. So now she's seeing everything Pattinson does. She, I, I've, I've covered, you know, uh, on, on this on this podcast that, you know, she hops in the car and drives almost three hours with her mom and myself uh, to go see... The, the 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 latest, you know, it, this was right in the summer of the pandemic, right when they thought, oh my gosh, we can get some, we can get some, uh, we we can get some movies back into the theaters. You know, he uh, she, she she decides to hop in to make the trek with us to go see Tenet because Robert Pattinson's in it, okay, and so Batman, ditto, you know, um, she's a Timothy Chalamet fan. I told my friends Dune was going to do great because young ladies, they love Timothy Chalamet. So I understand we're talking about movie stars and we're talking about what, what would happen and this is getting back to the, the fight and, and it's just, you really feel old when you're telling your kids, well, no, no, Will, Smart, Will Smith, like he had this big run and, and, and here's back to the CBS this morning. He gave this interview to Gail King a couple weeks ago and he said, 
when he became a movie star, you know, it was 95, 96, 97, back-to-back Bad Boys. Next summer, Independence Day. Next year, Men in Black. He's like, you know, you know, you know. If you're going to pick three movies to do back-to-back-to-back, and it's like, you know, cop, big Michael Bay cop action movie, buddy cop movie, followed by giant sci-fi adventure spectacle with Independence Day, you know, followed by sci-fi comedy, which, uh, I mean, I make this look easy. I mean, that that is, uh, those are, that's tremendously memorable. And again, then it just rocketed him, rocketed him into the stratosphere. Uh, I did a podcast called The Pitch uh, back in uh, 2020, end, end of the year, you know, first, first kind of six months of doing this show about the weekend I spent with Will Smith in 1997, going to all the major, major studios. He put his name behind a spec script of mine and we uh, sold it for um, uh, seven figures, obviously because he put his name behind it. It was called The Mark. Uh, I would go visit him while he was filming Enemy of the State. He was doing a bunch of uh, shoots around town uh, uh, here in Los Angeles with Jerry Bruckheimer, and I would go and I would, you know, be able to visit Will on Smith, uh, Will, Will Smith on set. But uh, Will was just going from one giant production to the next. Uh, he was able to survive and, and navigate his way out of Wild Wild West. But then, uh, you know, he found himself on sure footing again with with that run of films. That, 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 that really in the early 2000s gave him um, so much flex again, which is, I believe it's uh, like Bad Boys 2 and, and Hitch. And, and again, that, that, that is a giant run. I mean, Hitch is 2005, okay? I Am Legend 2007, 2008 is, uh, is Hancock. Um, I, Robot is 2004. So, two th- so he roars back. Following Wild Wild West, 2003 is Bad Boy 2, great sequel, loved it. Michael Bay, completely flexing. Um, I, Robot, huge voices, Shark Tale, stars in Hitch is one of his signature flex. The Pursuit of Happiness gets a ton of success. I Am Legend the next year, Hancock. And then, again, uh, Seven Pounds isn't a big hit. Men in Black 3 brings him back. But then again, you're looking at After Earth cratered, Focus cratered, Concussion cratered, um, I mean, Collateral Beauty, Cratered Bright is on Netflix. Uh, again, you can you can pull out Aladdin and Suicide Squad during that time. But so this isn't about whether Will Smith is successful or not. Obviously, his filmography is crazy, and 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 I'm not talking about anything regarding his altercation with Chris Rock, other than the fact that when my wife and I, you know, we're like the rest of you, we were watching the Oscars, and then that happened. We're watching it in real time. I freaked out, and when the audio got froze. Or, or, or when the audio was cut and it felt like the picture froze for a minute too on, on our on our view out, uh, here in you know Southern California where we were watching it, I went to Twitter and, and again you got the Australian feed, you got the Japanese feeds, you know you could, we were able to hear hear what was happening. I was like, what is going on here? And then our kids who had wandered in to watch the Oscars with us were like with us were like, what's going on? And what's you know. You haven't lived until your daughter asks you, what's Will Smith known for again, Dad? And it just dawns on you. Again, these these stars of our generation are still being revisited. They're, they're more, you know, like how Anthony Hopkins was when I was a kid. He had already been in a bunch of movies, but Hannibal Lecter gave him a brand new turn for my, you know, my mid to late 20s to where he then goes on a tear and especially on a tear specifically as that character and in all more, all different manner of roles. But I mean, you know, I, I guess you could argue like somebody like a Denzel Washington never ever falls out of style. He's always in the focus, but you know, the history of movie stars, um, there are first acts, second acts, third acts, fourth acts. It's weird though. When you're born in a certain era has, I can just share with you that, uh, you know, it, it, the, the, the public, and, and the youth react a certain way. They react to what they know. And, uh, you know, they, they some of these actors of our generations, it's just funny. It makes you seem old when you're like, oh, well, this is why this character was a big deal. This actor was a big deal. Because it's like, to them, they're like, I, I don't know that this character matters. Very interesting, very funny. Uh, so that is one of our first hot topics of the day. Pivoting away from the meme of Batman slapping Robin and the comic book uh, influence on pop culture. 
a huge convention is coming back this weekend, and I wanted to give it a little time because it is a convention that means a tremendous amount to me, and that is WonderCon. I have uh, gone through uh, several times with you guys before how WonderCon is of particular interest to me for so many different reasons, and uh, but but chief among them is, you know, when I first attended the very first WonderCon, WonderCon is the biggest show that was that I've seen grow into a blockbuster show in my lifetime. San Diego was existing before I was attending. Um, you know, New York Comic Con happened, you know, 12, 15 years ago. But, I mean, you go, WonderCon is 1987. And, you know, when you get to plus 30 years of, of a show and you're like, I was the first one, I was the very first one. And it was down at the Oakland Civic Center um, Convention Center. And uh, in, in, in my life, it is a part of the lore of uh, L-O-R-E, of, of, of my getting hired in comics because I've told this story about how Hank Canals, who uh, has in recent years, I think spent over a decade in executive position at DC, DC Comics. Uh, I, I'm not sure where he is at this time, given all of the, um, the, the overturn of jobs and the, and the layoffs and the different switches over at DC. But Hank and I were two kids trying to make it in comics. And uh, I had a go-for-broke attitude. And this is the time that I am the pizza delivery guy, the construction guy, and the uh, busboy guy. The busboy guy is the hours I got the least, but I did it on the weekends uh, and, and maybe one weeknight because my, my friends were all working at the restaurant as well, and it was fun. It was very more camaraderie-based. Uh, pizza delivering was great. Three or four nights a week, I would just that make great tips, you know, grab some deliveries, pull up, boom, just deliver, deliver, deliver. I loved it. And then Monday through Saturday, I was up at 5 a.m. and worked till 4 o'clock on a construction site wherever they needed me. Uh, there was a company that sent us to different sites. Uh, uh, we, we, we did a speciality. We, we put in uh, concrete flooring on office buildings um, all over Southern California. And that involves a great deal of mixing concrete, laying down what's called lathing, um, uh, d doing the, the first and the second layer of, of the flooring. And then, of course, you know, scraping it and smoothing it out and, and then putting the final coat. I mean, it's a... It, it, it was a uh, interesting time in my life, but in the off hours that I wasn't delivering pizzas or on Sundays, I would draw my heart out trying to develop myself as a comic book artist. The giant double page ad appears in the Comic Book Buyer's Guide, the newspaper that I've mentioned here oftentimes. It is no longer in circulation, but was probably the primary source of news for everybody in the comics industry during the period that it was being published. Comics Buyer's Guide, big logo on every paper was CBG. And there was a giant, uh, you know, you unfolded the paper. So it's giant 11 by 17 sheet called WonderCon, Startup Con. This was not owned by Comic-Con International, yet they would not absorb it for another two decades. It started on its own, uh, fronted by a bunch of guys, comic book fans, and they were throwing it at the Oakland Convention Center and they had secured quite a guest list. It helped that so many great talents, uh, were, were located in, in the Southern California and the Northern California area, whether it was Art Adams, Mike Mignola, uh, Steve Lealoa, um, Steve Purcell. I mean, the, the, they had a great base of superstar talent that were doing top books. All four of the gentlemen I just named to you were doing something somewhere in the X-Men world, but then they also were having major present... They, they, they were announcing that they had major publishers, you had DC, you had Marvel, you had Dark Horse, you had Kamiko, you had Eclipse. They had really wooed all the publishers to come out and support this. And uh, looked it up. My aunt and uncle lived in San Jose. They would give us a place to crash. And then we'd wake up early that morning and drive. And then when we were finished, we would just drive all the way home. So Hank and I drove to my aunt and uncle's. We crashed. We spent the night. We woke up the next morning. We made the final leg into... Uh, the very first WonderCon bought our tickets, and as you guys have, I won't I won't prolong the story. But after uh, trying to hand out my samples of my eight-page Youngblood story to every single publisher, and I've told this at all the different conventions I've been to through, so I'll power through this. But Eclipse and Kamiko and Dark Horse and First Comics all told me they weren't even accepting submissions. They would not even accept the packet of eight penciled pages that I was trying to hand them. And uh, 
Now, mind you, I had really parked myself in the years previously at, at from 85, 86 at comic conventions. I would go and make it my kind of life's mission to stand next to the editors as they reviewed different portfolios. At this, at this Nowadays, you they pick names and, and they go and they do it and it's like more of a private matter. This was on the floor. You could go pretty much they'd have portfolio reviewing times twice a day and sometimes it was a line of 10 sometimes it was a line of 20 more people i had gone to chicago in 1985 and 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 san diego 1985 and 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 again in 86 so i had really had seen a uh, four really intense at giant big shows like portfolio reviewing processes and I saw when people would argue back with the editor, and I was like, okay, make note, make note, listen to what the editor is telling them they want to see and what they don't want to see. They don't want to see all action shots because they know that there's so much more to comic books than action shots. There's drama, there's talking, there's character interaction, there's faces, there's facial expression. My eight pages of uh, Youngblood are woefully low on action. There's maybe a couple scenes of people running, and that's it. It's a tryout for uh, people trying to get into Youngblood, and uh, one of the tryouts goes terribly wrong for a young recruit who's cocky and got this tech suit. And uh, one of the characters of young of Youngblood Cougar doesn't like the way that the guy is responding and with his cockiness and leaps over the table and has this uh, interaction with him, shows him all the dysfunction of his sh- of, of, of his uh, robot suit that, that, that so much of the circuitry is outside, like where you can pull the coils and the wires and shows him how susceptible he is. The guy gets frustrated, walks away. I'm trying to move angles and faces and really make the pages dynamic. Then uh, Cougar and a character named Sentinel are walking down the hall kind of post the tryout session, and they wander into a gym, a gym where uh, a couple of the characters are lifting weights. Uh, one's doing bench press. One's doing you know, curls. There, I, I draw the surrounding of the gymnasium. Then the alarm goes off. And everybody, this is where your running comes in. I show all the people's reactions, and then they all run down the hallway to gather in the main uh, room to get debriefed. And that's it. Those are the samples. Nobody throws a punch. Nobody connects. It's uh, That's the contents of the eight pages that I had. And when I got to DC Comics, Dick Giordano, who was the publisher at the time, said he wasn't really looking, but he took the packet and said, I'll get back to you. He was good in his word. I did get contact, you know, kind of ruining the story here, but I was so shut down and just humiliated and frustrated more, more than anything that Dark Horse and First and Kimiko, they, they just weren't accepting. They just, one, one guy just handed it back and said, well, guys, we're not, we're not, we're not that kind of company. We take creator owned material by established creators. We don't look for young talent. It's like, wow. Stood in line, Mark Grunewald, the late Mark Grunewald, the great Mark Grunewald, the writer and an editor that I had grown up with great respect for was looking at portfolios. There was about a line of 15 people. Hank encouraged me to stand in the line. I said, no, let's just go home. This is going to just be another disappointment. He encouraged me to stand in that line. I did stand in that line. Long story short, Mark looked at my samples, uh, was quiet for a minute, and then extended his hand to me, stood up and welcomed me to Marvel Comics. I got a job. When I tell this on stage, I usually get a little more excited. I go, woo! I mean, it's, it's a very exciting moment, but I'm trying to, that's really one of, that, that, that exciting, that's where I got hired and I was able to read about that I got hired in the CBG four weeks later because Marvel put out a press release that they had hired both myself and Ron Lim at that show. So again, two of the L boys, and if you have not listened to my podcast called The L Boys, which is what Todd McFarlane refers to us a year later when he is hunting us all down at the San Diego Comic-Con. The, the L-Boys! I'm, I'm trying to meet all the L-Boys. Lee Leifeld Lim Larson. Uh, for whatever reason, uh, all the L-Boys got hired within the same 12-month period. And uh, the L-Boys was what he called us. Oh, yeah, the L-Boys. I just, I just, I just, I just got to meet Jim Lee. I met Lim and Leifeld and Larson. So yeah, that was, uh, I read about myself getting hired in the same newspaper that showed me where I should go to get hired. And I've always said that that drive home from Oakland is, was just, you know, felt like it was 20 minutes. Cause I, I had my head out the window, like a dog with his big tongue panting heavily at the, at the wind in my face. Hank, uh, was kind enough to drive. 
I obviously went back to the next WonderCon and many after. They were all in Oakland for quite some time. Then they shifted to San Francisco at the was the Moscone Center. I don't know. It's a giant, you know, convention center down in San Francisco. But I'll be honest, the last one that I visited in San Francisco around 2010 was uh, was not as well populated as as I had led to believe. And what I heard is the reason the city kind of ended its relationship was that so many of the people attending WonderCon were coming from all the different boroughs in Northern California, coming in on the trains, and that conventions are about hotels and um, in the city and, and business and restaurants as much as anything else. And you know this to be a fact if you go to San Diego and you see how all the major hotels, and trust me, all of those giant hotels did not used to be there. When you go to San Diego, you know that this is a thing because the hotels that that are that are the ones you can't seem to get a room at are the same that weren't there 20 years ago, 25 years ago. They have all sprung up the Hyatt, the Hilton. They've they, they've grown. They've they've you know become these giant, um, cumbersome, multi-floored, giant skyscraper. You know, thousands of rooms, hundreds of rooms, thousands of beds. Since the explosion of the of the the, the Comic Con hall again, I've, I've told you guys like Comic Con used to be in a San Diego Convention Center that was just up the street that my wife and I went and visited in the pandemic. I, t- I took her back to where I you know first you know went to Comic Con with my dad in in 1982 83, and uh, just amazing memories in that hall. But then you know when they 1992, 1991, sorry, 1991, the, the debut of X-Force was, was the opening of that, of that hall. And, uh, it was like hall A and B. And then, then they'd add C and D and E and F and G and, you know, maybe not in that order, but every year or couple of years, they were adding onto the existing hall until they ran out of the real estate space that they have now, which has ended, you know, conveniently in hall H. But, uh, they moved, they absolutely moved the, uh, they, 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 they moved WonderCon to Anaheim. Feels like a decade ago. If I'm off by a year, you know, forgive me, but they moved it. And, and then for a couple of years, it, it went up to LA briefly, but WonderCon is, uh, at the Anaheim hotel, uh, but it was bought at, at some point. I'm not sure when, when San Diego Comic-Con bought it, uh, but I think it was while it was in San Francisco. Then San Francisco ditched it. Uh, they had a falling out with the city, the, the the convention center, whatever. I've never really gotten a. I've got. I've heard all manner of theories and stories. None of them are absolutely, you know, convincing. Feels like there's something someone's not saying. But bottom line, they they moved to Orange County. It was uh, people groused about it because of, of course everybody who loved it in Northern California didn't want to want to have to suddenly come to Southern California. But if you can believe this. It has thrived in Southern California. It is. It there are years that it feels like is it is kissing the success and popularity of San Diego Comic Con again. It, it's it's generally a March April show to complement then a July August show in San Diego. So they are in kind of they're almost kissing the same season. One's a spring show, one's a summer show. But you know you're looking at about three months between them. But Southern California comes out in. Kind of WonderCon also has served to be sort of a uh, more accessible convention experience to all the people who can't get into San Diego because you know it's been now many years since the formal normal San Diego. Uh, so it's same as WonderCon. If, if if San Diego 2022 goes off without a hitch, it'll have been three years. I know they did a special edition, but from all intents and purposes, that was kind of a warm up and and a partial show. Uh, whereas LA Comic-Con coming back after two years this last year felt like LA Comic-Con all the way back. And again, I've done a lot of these shows. I know the, 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 the volumes, the capacities, when you see all the tables and the floor being used up, New York Comic-Con, uh, which, which was, you know, was out of commission for a couple of years when it came back, this last 2021 was phenomenal. You know, I went in October, 2019, you know, monster show, then I'll be shut, shut, shut down for two years back in 2021, full capacity. San Diego Comic-Con special edition, because honestly, California had a lot more stringent uh, applications in terms of everything that was going on with COVID at the time. And and I'm I'm not involved in the with what 
whatever the politics were of that. I'm just telling you they were uh, the the, the Comic Con special edition was uh, had to you know comply with whatever limited capacity was um, imposed on them because of the conditions of the state that I live in, that we live in, that this is thrown in. WonderCon has not been back for three years. San Diego Comic-Con, as we know it, has not been back for three years. So uh, in the last versions of both, they were both packed to the gills, elbow to elbow, super traffic, great, major successful shows, toys, comics, artists, media panels, uh, original art, everything, great concessions, just tremendous fun. The fact that WonderCon uh, is back this weekend April, is it two, three, four? Uh, it, it's this first weekend of April, upcoming, uh, back at the Anaheim Convention Center, right across the street from uh, Disneyland. Uh, just, this, this is where I grew up. These are the streets I grew up on. Um, Anaheim is the city that, that I was born in. So it's always exciting uh, to, to have WonderCon, uh, the doors open and, 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 and fans there. Cause it's, it's just so much fun. Southern California has really grown as a destination, uh, for these giant venues. And I am so excited. I will be there. Uh, all manner of artists and writers and creators are going to be there. I've seen the, I've seen all of the different, um, announcements. I'm not sure if the final mapping is out and, and up, but, um, I've got a panel, uh, 30 years of image, um, my career's 35 years period. So it's going to be a fun time to get, get in, in your guys' face and share with you and talk to you and see you. And I'll be doing signings, uh, on the floor. They'll, they'll check my social media for where I'm going to be. It's just an exciting time. Conventions are back again. If I can circle all the way back to what we saw on the Oscar telecast last night was the, uh, the fact that, uh, that, uh, it just felt like our pandemic is is really as over as it's been for a long time until I guess, you know, of course, the next wave arrives. But it just didn't feel like there was anything holding people back. Trust me, uh I, I, I understand the testing and the and and the and the uh the 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 vaccine stuff. I've been a I've I've been a part of it. I've participated in it. I did, you know, what I did each and every time so that I would be as accessible as I could be. Um I I really you know, just, just wanted to protect myself while I was out trying to engage with fans all this past year. And it served me well. I've been able to get out and see you guys and, and enjoy that buzz. We're just like you guys, man. We walk the aisles. I get comic books. I buy artwork. I get signatures. All of the above. I buy toys. I buy exclusives. It's exciting. Conventions are exciting. They give us, they're kind of, they really are the lifeblood of the industry now. I mean, we need the comic books, obviously, but getting together in these halls and celebrating our passion is what really unites all of us, whether it's in Chicago or New York or Arizona or Washington state or Anaheim, California, San Diego, you name it. Um, it's exciting. So I'm excited that WonderCon and obviously what I shared with you guys, WonderCon is a very personal experience for me. It'll always be the show that I got hired at no matter where it's located, no matter who owns it, um, whatever, wherever the venue, if it's WonderCon, that is the show that I, you know, attribute my entire career to after everyone turned me down and Marvel Comics hired me. And so it is incredibly, uh, it's just very resonant uh, occurrence for me. I really get excited whenever I get to go. So um, WonderCon, honestly, it's it's, it's one of the biggest, it's back. And, And the reason I'm excited is it really feels like as I look at the calendar every single week, my fellow peer group, my, my fellow comic book creators are at they're in Lexington, Kentucky. They're in Miami. They're in Orlando. They're in, you know, uh, a show in Texas. Uh, I mean, this is just the stuff that I've just seen in my immediate feed. I mean, there's uh, there's all manner of celebrations of what we love uh, so dearly going on, and it is occurring all across the nation because conventions are back. WonderCon is back. I couldn't be more excited that WonderCon is back. We are going to wrap up today's kind of hot topic episode by me sharing with you one thing that I have never shared with you guys, but I feel like I need to. And that is the funeral for a King, the, the funeral for Jack Kirby. Um, you know, I, 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 not many people, especially not many people in the business attended. I know I was there and, uh, and, and I've never shared that story with you, but you guys know how much I, um, love and hold Jack Kirby just so dear. And, uh, and when he, uh, 
you know, when he passed away at the age of 76 in 1994, I'm going to tell you, I was, uh, I'm always a, an early riser and I had just gotten up to go make myself some breakfast, some cereal, uh, and the phone rings and Larry Martyr, uh, who was the recent publisher, we had hired him as publisher of image comics, called me and said, Hey Rob, it's Larry. I said, Larry, what's up? What's, what, what do I owe this early call for? And he goes, I'm calling you to tell you that, um, you know, Jack Kirby, the king of comics, has passed away. He goes, I know how much you love Jack, and I know you would want to know. And I I remember leaning up against the wall with the big, remember we had the big, these aren't cell phones. This, this was like a big, you know, uh, auto, you know, not, not plugged into the wall. We had moved into these, you know, mobile phones for the house, but they were gigantic. They were giant, giant walkie-talkies. And Larry's telling me this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, how did he die? Now, Larry at the time told me that he had heard that Jack had woke up, gone out to get the paper, and died in the driveway. I have never had that confirmed. That is what I learned. When you read about Jack's death, you just, he died in the morning uh, of, of, of uh, February, February 6, 1994. I remember it like it was yesterday, because again, just... In that last year and a half was when I had gotten to know the king the most. I'd been up to his house. I'd had dinners. I'd bought artwork. I'd shared stories. I'd brought guys from my extreme studios. Again, it, it was weird to me in the in, in the recent years that Jim Lee never uh, spent private time with Jack. Todd did not spend private time with Jack. Eric, Mark, uh, I think Valentino was the only other guy, but uh, uh, who because he had a previous kind of relationship. Because again, Jack and Roz were all over the Southern California. Uh, uh, convention scene. They'd always pop their heads in because he lived here. He had made it his home since 1970, maybe 1969. Uh, when he started working for DC Comics, when he transitioned from Marvel to DC, he'd relocated here to Southern California. He'd worked in animation. I mean, imagine all the young guys in animation at the time that were doing storyboards and character concepts with them and how excited they were. And I'm talking like Larry Houston and Rick Hoberg and obviously Mark Evanier, who had been one of his, um, one of his three, I believe, assistants who had kind of helped him out here in Southern California. I mean, Jack was, um, I had done a panel with Jack at a couple of different of the LA shows in 1989, 1990. I couldn't believe they asked me to be on a panel with Jack. He was always so gracious. Roz was so gracious. Oh no, no, no. It's great. It's great. We want you up there. Jack celebrated the youth. He, I've, I've covered in different um, podcasts with you guys how Jack would be like, I really like your work. And, and if I was, if I was young and, and, and doing what you do, I, I, I'd be doing what you do. And, and what he meant was when we broke off to do Image Comics, Jack was diminutive. He was small. It was incredible that all of that create creativity, all of that amazing, uh, just stunning, I mean, literally stunning, uh, you know, burst of creative, you know, cr- creative genius came, you know, came from this little form, this, this tiny, powerful man. But uh, Jack passed away, and you know, so the 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 funeral was a couple weeks later, maybe within the next week. And the, and the reason I remember it so well is a group of us met at Extreme Studios, and uh, a group of us met at Extreme Studios, and we uh, we carpooled together because uh, in Thousand Oaks, uh, I think it was in Village, it's called Village Valley Oaks, was where the service was going to be. And uh, myself, Eric Stevenson, the letterer, Kurt Hathaway, uh, I believe Dan Frega, can't be sure, certain, um, Richard Horry. It was, it, was, it was a car full. And it was a long ride because even in Southern California, from Orange County to Thousand Oaks is like that extra, it's beyond Los Angeles. It's about 20 minutes outside of Los Angeles. So you're already going 60 to 70 minutes to get to LA. And then you got to punch on through. But we all wanted to get to the service on time. We met like very early in the morning, 7.30, 8 o'clock to get there for a 10 o'clock. We all arrived in time. We took our seats in the back section, you know, just not, not maybe the back of the middle, back of the middle, not all the way in the back, but then we, we filed in. Um, obviously everyone was devastated. Jack was, was beloved and he was, he was young. He was 76 years old. You guys, this is not a old man. Um, I mean, he was, he was a senior, but he, he looked great when I had seen him. Okay. So the group of us, uh, arrived, uh, in time, after our commute and we settled into kind of the middle of the room and uh, packed packed house, as you could expect, um, tons of Jack's family and peers and the animators and the creators that he had, um, 
you know, obviously had admired him a great deal and had either made the trip out or already lived in Southern California, uh, like the, the attendees, our, our, our contingent that we brought from Extreme Studios. We settled in. It was a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, service. Uh, uh, the, the most memorable was that uh, one of Jack's grandchildren, I believe it was Jeremy, I'm not sure, uh, maybe, maybe it was one of the, the younger kids, came up and he was very, uh, very clearly shaken. Loved his grandfather very much. Loved his grandfather, Jack. And he, um, just more props to him for him standing up and sharing this very deeply moving story. And he was shaking as he, as he shared it that um, the night after learning his grandfather, Jack, had passed, that he woke up and, and uh, vividly uh, recounted seeing the Hulk, Iron Man, Thor, and Captain America. And I mean, he is telling us the story. I, it has my full attention. I am riveted. And they are standing around uh, Jack's grandchild, one of his grandchildren, and they assure him that they are taking great care of his, of his grandfather, that Jack is in great hands, and that they're going to take care of him too. And he said, the characters that my grandfather created comforted me. They comforted me. And I mean, you guys, come on. I mean, th- th- this is uh, this is really deeply moving, deeply riveting uh, from, from the funeral of the greatest comic book creator of all space and time. And to this day, I am just, uh, again, the only, the only image guy to have attended, uh, brought our group from Extreme, just had so much love and compassion. But I will tell you, there was an, it wasn't as awkward. I'm going to tell you right now, this is, this is an awkward occurrence. Right before the actual service started, there was a hush that came over the entire crowd. And that is because a single figure entered and he quietly took his seat, uh, you know, back of the, back of the middle. We, we saw him and that is none other than Stan the Man Lee. And you know what? The blood between these guys was not good uh, still. I don't think they were close uh, from the time that Jack aired kind of his grievances. And, you know, even on an episode of uh, Robert, his, Robert Kirkman of Walking Dead Invincible fame uh, produced an entire season of fantastic shows called The Secret History of Comic Books. You should grab them if you can on Amazon or wherever you can buy them and listen to them in the Stan and Jack episode. Someone recorded a 1980s, circa 1980s, radio. They had the file, the audio of where, you know, Jack calls in or Stan calls in, one of the two, and they have an argument on during the radio show claiming, you know, discrepancies in the stories of who created what and how, you know, who contributed what. And, and you could tell these guys are still very contentious with each other. Um, Stan would always, in the presence of Jack, kind of back off and get, I would say, get a little smaller because he maybe, you know, maybe Jack represented a truth to him or or a side of him that, that Stan did not want to stir up further. But there was always a little bit of um, Stan generally did not get more aggressive when Jack would dispute whatever he was saying. The two of them appeared at a party, Jack's birthday party in San Diego on the rooftop. I was there. It was exciting. Um, but it was cordial. These guys didn't have a warm love for each other. And the fact that uh, maybe Jack had gotten maybe even more um, just deeply entrenched in his resentment of what everything that he felt had been wronged, he had been wronged by Marvel. But there was a hush, and it was uncomfortable. Maybe not quite the Chris Rock, Will Smith Academy Award smack, but it was it was uncomfortable. But I'm going to give you, I'm going to tell you, Stan gets great props from me. And when it came time to pay respects, Stan stood up in an audience that clearly did not care for him. I, I'm, I'm going to tell you the, the there was not a lot of warmth towards him from the front row all the way to the back. But Stan stood in that line, went all the way down to pay his respects right in front of Jack's casket. And I thought, good for him. He did the right thing. You may not have, the Kirby contingent may not have been happy with him at the time, but he did the right thing. He represented, he, he showed up and was there for his longtime collaborator and uh, someone who they shared quite a bit of magic with. From there, obviously, we went to the gravesite and we all uh, 
you know, it, I, I myself was shaking as I uh, shoveled some dirt and uh, as was the custom and threw some dirt on the casket. And of course, Roz was crying. Roz is a beautiful, caring, loving, lovely, the most supportive. Uh, I mean, man, she was there for Jack, uh, 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 just partner with Jack. Uh, the, the two of them, they had each other's back and uh, she's just a lovely amazing woman and I have just amazing uh just kind generous memories of her and all of her uh love and compassion that she showed for everybody so afterwards there was a gathering it just didn't um we were definitely the young bucks we went around and talked to a few of the people that we knew but uh we knew we had uh, now in LA traffic probably three hours to drive home and we all uh drove home and in the car we were all able to share our memories of Jack and what he meant to us and each of us kind of did pick up on the fact that the Stan Lee moment, which is a big deal, he attended Jack's. Maybe you didn't know that. Maybe you do now. He attended Jack's funeral. He funeral. He stood up in the in the face of. I, I got to be honest. What felt like dark clouds around him, and soldiered on. Went down to the center and paid the respects to a man who I don't think they were very close in their last maybe couple of decades. But uh, you know, Jack was. Um, imagine. I mean, again, I just I felt overwhelmingly you know, the honor that I had to attend this man's funeral and the guys from the extreme, we still hold it in highest regard uh, that we were able to know Jack, love Jack, tell him we loved him, spend time with him and attend his funeral and burial. And uh, and again, I, I, I just, that is a rich, rich memory um, and, and, and a way that I will always uh, feel even more connected to Jack and his legacy and the warmth that his family specifically Roz, because Roz was the one that said, hey, I hear you want to buy some art the very first time I visited him. And she let me into the secret art room and I was able to look through all the drawers and marvel at uh, all of the penciled pages that never saw print and the, co the, the concepts. And, you know, eventually we went on and did a project called Phantom Force. And I'm not sure if I've covered that on this, this podcast. Maybe I have, maybe I haven't. I'm not going to go any further into it today other than we ended up, myself, I was able to do a project with Jack uh, two issues, uh, capitalizing on all of the, uh, the, the, the unpublished concepts and, and story art that he had. And we were able to then give, you know, Jack made all the money. We all gave our time and our effort to maybe modernize in, in the modern fans eyes that maybe if a Todd McFarlane or a Rob Liefeld and a Jim Lee and a Mark Silvestri, if we're all throwing love on Jack, you know, that, that, that they, that, that, that they should also be, uh, you know, uh, throwing their same love and attention on Jack. So it's uh, really, really great memories. And uh, But you should know, it's a beautiful funeral. Beautiful memories by his family were felt. I mean, how awesome that that grandchild stood up and said he was surrounded by Jack's greatest creations, Thor, Iron Man, Hulk, and Captain. They assured him, your grandfather's okay, and we're going to take care of him, and you're going to be okay. It was so sweet, so genuinely moving. Uh but so that's it, guys. We have gone through the meme, the the, the meme slap that, that that everyone started sharing post Academy Awards last night. Uh, celebrated the legacy of WonderCon, um, and 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 the just what an amazing show it is. And and look, you, you'll get to see tons of great publishers, comic books, toys, everything that makes comics great. Creators, panels. Um, let's get this baby rolling, these conventions back uh, on track because they're a way that we all share our passion. And finally, Funeral for a King, you should have known. Uh, and I wanted to share with you the, the it was, you know, and, and the, it was as many people as attended, it was very intimate setting and uh, it was very beautiful. And I'm happy that I was able to share that with you guys today. You guys um, are always so generous and share with me so much of the love and compassion that you have for this show, which is so important because we need you. We need you now more than ever to show your love and compassion for this show. So thank you so much every each and every time you guys do it. I am so excited to share it with you. Today, I'm going to share with you a, uh, a, a basically a note that was passed to me, a message uh, that was passed from a, a, a guy who we're going to call Nick G. Nick G wrote me and said to me, Rob, I just started your podcast. I'm hooked on it. From episode one, I'm so glad I found it. Your art and the rest of the image team back in the 90s inspired me to study the fine arts in school. And those th th that art is reference that I use now as a painter in my skills as a painter. 
I'm jumping back into the collecting routine. I do appreciate so much the inspiration that you have given me over the last 30 years. Love your work. Can't wait to pull out my copies of Profit and Youngblood and read them over again. All the best, Nick G. Nick G, that's the kind of stuff that just absolutely 100% stops me in my tracks. You guys, when you leave reviews like Nick G just did, I read them here on the air. You can leave them in all manner of places. They'll reach me. I'll find them. I'll share them on Apple, on Spotify, on the on the website. Thank you for sharing your love, your five stars, your positivity. Mostly thank you for, for spreading the word about the show. I appreciate it so much. We need it. It helps us stand out. It gives us an edge on all of the different platforms we're featured. In case you haven't noticed, this is such a competitive world to try and burst out and stand out in. And I do this um, for you guys. And I love that you guys are able to um, hear and listen to this show and and I appreciate all the love that you guys throw back to me. I am all over social media. On Twitter, I am at Robert Liefeld. The full name, R-O-B-E-R-T-L-I-E-F-E-L-D. On Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Okay. So it both have blue checks. Tells you it's really me. The other day I saw Chris Evans right after one of my podcasts where I always do this and I always feel lame for telling you guys this because it sounds so weird. But the bottom line is Chris Evans said the same thing you gotta be you got Chris Evans slash Captain America is like, you have to be careful. I only have one account. There are other Phantom accounts. I've had people contacted by Phantom accounts with my name on it. And I've had to defuse them. I've had to report them and get them out because they're dangerous. They're dangerous. And uh, so the blue check tells you it's really me. Thank you guys for interacting with me. I love all of our conversations back and forth, the messages, the, um, the tweets back and forth, the DMs, all the ways you guys communicate with me. This podcast has a dedicated page, Rob Observations with Rob Liefeld on Facebook. Please look it out, find it, like it, leave a message. I'll find it. I'll respond. Thank you so much for all of the uh, the attention and the and 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 again the word of mouth and the sharing that you're doing about this show. And again, you can find me reachable on all those different platforms. I absolutely love uh, contacting and and all of the different back and forth because it wasn't available to me. I didn't have this opportunity to talk to other um, comic book creators or or people that that I knew was, were in comics and we love it. We dig it. We, um, so, so let's keep it up. You guys, this is where we commit. We're going to take care of each other. Our minds, our bodies, our souls. We are going to eat good food, watch good movie, listen to great music, read comics, watch streaming. We're going to chill. We're going to relax. What a crazy couple of years, right? We deserve to kick our feet up and to just some days take some hours off, take some entire days off and, 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 and make things just calmer for ourselves. And I do that through all the manner of, of, of practices that I just shared with you, reading comics, watching movies, listening to music, listening to podcasts. I, I listen to a lot of podcasts myself. So you guys do that. Take care of yourself. Chill down, chill out, slow down if you can, when you can and circle back here because that's where I'll be. And you and I are going to talk again real soon. 